Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. Well, good morning, Grace Church. It's good to see all of you, and um, I'm excited to because today is the beginning of a new series of messages at Grace, and I'm kind of a nerd, and so I always, when something new happens, I get all kind of giddy, and yes, it's going to be something fun. I, I, uh, I um, have been praying about this particular series of messages for about a year, off and on, thinking, pondering, bringing it to the Lord, but I've actually been thinking about the concepts and the principles that we're going to be talking about over these next weeks for a couple of years, just having kind of an awareness of some things that I believe are missing within the church of Jesus Christ, and that's not putting anybody down. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's a part of who we are as a body of Christ in this part of the world that is, uh, that is missing. And I, I feel like every time someone comes up here and shares the word, every time someone comes up here and, and presents that which God has laid on their hearts, I'm believing every time it happens, whether it's me or someone else, that there's encouragement, that there's correction, that there's edification, there's new instruction and insight. I'm praying that all of those things are happening. But... In this particular topic, at this particular time for the church, I'm going to go a step further and say, I not only believe and I'm praying that it will be all of those things, but also I believe that it will be prophetic. And when I say prophetic, I'm not saying that that it is a foretelling of the future, that it is predictive of the future, okay? So turn to the person next to you and say, he's not going to predict the future, so if you're gonna, you had your pen out for some lottery numbers, you can just put that thing away because I'm not going to give those to you. I use those for myself alone. <clears throat> just kidding. It's not that. It's not a foretelling, predictive. It is a forthtelling today word that the Lord gives prophetic words to the body of Christ at large and to individual bodies. And I believe that this is a prophetic word for our church and for others. Now, I don't have reach or influence beyond this congregation, but I would not be surprised to learn as the days you know, unfold and we move forward that the Lord is not laying this particular uh, topic and these particular principles on the hearts of other leaders in other places. I would not be surprised in the least that the Holy Spirit is doing something much more broadly than in our local congregation. This is that important. It's that relevant to where we are right now. And of course, if you haven't guessed or you haven't read the front of the Grace Guide, I am talking specifically ideas and concepts about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in and I'm going to talk a little bit about my testimony next week, but I have been serving Jesus for over 30 years. And in all of that time, I cannot specifically think of a time where I was a part of a local church family where there was teaching about the Lordship of Jesus. Now, it's mentioned and it gets touched on, but not in a kind of an in-depth, diving, deep kind of a way have we looked at the lordship of, of Jesus in my personal experience. I hope that you have. I have personally not experienced that. But we're gonna do that here at Grace. And I believe 
that the Lord is gonna do some transformational things within us as a church family. That you will have the opportunity as you process and think through and pray through what's being taught and as you go to the word yourself to, to, to verify that what that little guy up front is saying is real, as you do that, I believe that God is gonna do some amazing things inside of your life. That if you have been feeling like, you know, I just kind of feel stuck. Have you ever just felt stuck? You know, I mean, we did a series called Breakthrough earlier this year. We talked about finances and forgiveness and how that kind of gets us moving forward when we yield to the Lord in those areas, kind of like Josh was just saying. If, you, if you're in that place where you just feel like, oh, I really want to grow. I haven't grown. I haven't felt like I've been growing. This topic is one of those topics that will cause you to, to start to feel momentum in your growth. If you felt like, I just have a, a, a place in my life um, of struggle with sin that I cannot seem to overcome. Everybody ever, I'm just be bold. Anybody ever had a place where you felt like, man, I just can't beat this one? Yeah, all three of us feel that way. That's fantastic. Yeah. This thing of lordship, this concept of lordship and Jesus being the Lord of all is a place where there can be breakthrough and there can be healing and wholeness in that area. If you've ever felt like, man, I just, I really want to see the people in my life, people like that are represented by these initials on our board, I want to see these, more of these people come to Jesus. The Lordship of Christ plays a critical role in the releasing of, you know, a, a, the power to see someone's life transformed through your witness. It's that big a deal. It could actually be, and I don't ever, I can't remember ever using this word, but I really believe it could revolutionize your walk with Christ. It could be a revolutionary experience to have Jesus be Lord of all, not in word only, but in practice every single day. So would you pray with me this morning as we begin this series? Would you just kind of open your heart and mind right now and agree with me in prayer as we say, Holy Spirit, teach us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the teacher, the helper, the one who comes alongside of us, the Spirit of Christ. And we invite him through the word and through his direction in, in the teachings that I'll give, but also in the ways that we'll process this information privately and in our families and in our small groups. Lord, we are praying this morning that you would do revolutionary things in our walks with you. That, Lord, places where we've had blind spots in regard to the importance, the critical importance of the Lordship of Jesus, we would no longer have those that there would be light flooding into places of darkness, that there would be freedom and wholeness and growth, and that there would be new people who don't know Jesus right now, but who come to meet him through the work that you're doing in our lives as we speak life and health and hope to those around us. Lord, do amazing things. We give ourselves to you this morning for that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen? All right. So I said all of that to say this. This morning, my temptation in any week that we're here, my temptation is to go, well, let me ask a quick survey. If you were going to get in a swimming pool, how many of you would say, I'm one of those people that likes to go to the shallow end where the little steps are, and I take my time, and I just take it easy a little bit at a time and get into the pool? Raise your hand if that's you. About half of you, that's good. Now, how many of you know where I'm going with this? How many of you are like, no, if I'm gonna get wet, I'm gonna get wet. I'm gonna go to the deep end, I'm gonna jump in. Yeah, um, that shock's gonna be all at once and it's gonna be done, right? Okay, about half and half. So my temptation, every time we gather, my temptation is to jump in the deep end. 
Let's just not worry about all that other stuff. Let's just jump in the deep end. Let's just go for it. But we get more out of where we're going if we take our time and we build a little bit of context and we start in the shallow end. So can we this morning start in the shallow end? We are going to grab that little, that little thing and we're going to walk down into the pool slowly. We're going to get, and, and, that, and our older brother's not going to be there splashing us, telling us just to jump in. He's not going to be there doing that. We're just going to start with some basic concepts about lordship, and then we're going to build from here starting um, next week, okay? So, in your Bible, the word Lord appears hundreds of times, Old Testament and New Testament. And there are many different words from the original language, Old Testament, original language, New Testament, that get translated Lord in the English that we have. The Old Testament words are all what language originally? Good job. A bunch of Christians. Awesome. Hebrew, yes. The, the New Testament words are what language originally? Greek. Greek. We must read that more because more people knew that. That's good. So Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, several words in both languages get translated Lord. When you look at them, though, when you look at the words in the Old Testament that get translated Lord, there is one predominant word. In other words, there's one that shows up hundreds of times on its own over and over and over again. The same is true in the New Testament. When you look at the word Lord, there is one Greek word that gets translated Lord the most. Those are the two words I want to talk about this morning as building this context for understanding what lordship really is before we talk about the implications of Jesus being Lord of all. So in the Old Testament, the one word is the word that you will recognize. It is the word Yahweh or Jehovah. And in the Old Testament, that word that shows up literally hundreds of times is the name of God. It's the proper name of God. When you see Lord in the Old Testament, it's usually written in all caps. Look on the screen with me. Let's read this together. This is Psalm 21, verse 1. I'm sorry, 27, verse 1. I can't read. Great passage of Scripture, very familiar. Would you read it out loud with me? Go. The Lord is... Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isn't that a great verse? Okay, good. That's a fantastic, that's an underlinable one. Excellent verse. Notice in the two parts of the verse, Lord is capitalized fully. That is the word Yahweh. We could read that if we were going to be all Greek or all Hebrew. We could read that Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is a stronghold of my life, and who shall I be afraid? It's his proper name. Now, the reason it's always capitalized in our Bibles in English is that from the original language, uh, the Jewish people so highly honor the word of God and the name of God that when they write that word, they don't even write all the letters. They leave out the vowels. They write it in such a way that it is condensed. And when they are reading their scriptures, they will not speak the name of Yahweh. They hold it in such high regard, the name of the Lord in such high regard, which is why it shows up in all capitals when we're reading it. So most of the time in the Old Testament, when the word Lord shows up in English, it is this word Yahweh, which is also translated or used as Jehovah. It is the word that we see over and over again. It is the title of God. It is God's name. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think I got that part. Let's go over to the Greek. Now we're in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word that most often is translated Lord, and the one that we're going to focus on the most, is a a Greek word that I cannot say properly. But it is a word that is, um, is 
it, I'm going to give you the definition here in just a moment, but I'm going to do my best to attempt to say this Greek word properly, okay? So give me grace. Everybody give me grace? Okay. Kurius. Kurius. Turn to the person next to you and say, Kurius. Now we've all said it improperly together. That's fantastic. It is the main Greek word in the New Testament for, the, for, for our English word, Lord. However, it has a different definition than the Old Testament one. The New Testament word that most often is translated Lord is this. Look at the definition on the screen. Kurios. He to whom a person or thing belongs. He, I'm sorry, about which he has the power of deciding a master. The owner, one who has control of the person. And this is really important because when we're talking about Jesus being Lord of all, Jesus is, is Lord of all in terms of his name. He is Yahweh in the, from the Old Testament. Jesus is God. He is a part of the Trinity. It is the Son is, is God just like the Father is God. So he is Yahweh. But in the New Testament, when people are calling him Lord, they're also calling him this definition. They're saying, you are the one that has the power of deciding over my life. You are the one to which I belong. You are the master. You have ownership over me. Write this down in your notes this morning if you're taking the notes. The word Lord in the New Testament means more than a title or a name. It describes a position of authority. Now, that's not to suggest that Yahweh wasn't a God who had authority. He has all authority. I'm not saying that. But in the New Testament, the word specifically means one who has authority or ownership over another. When you look in the New Testament, uh, the, the word Lord is also often associated with an object. So we have something like a statement where Jesus is called the Lord of the harvest. That is, he has the power of deciding over the harvest. He has the owner of the harvest. Or he is the, the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, when he and his disciples are out walking through um, the grain field on the Sabbath day and his disciples are hungry... Right, so they are doing what? They are grabbing some of the grain and they're rubbing it in their hands and they're and they're eating the grain, letting the chaff fall away and eating the grain. Sounds like a wonderful snack, doesn't it? Very healthy. So they're doing this, and the religious leaders say, you know, what's up with that? Your disciples are working on the Sabbath because they harvested effectively. And Jesus corrects them. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. That man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. I am the Lord of the of the Sabbath. I am the one with the power of deciding over the Sabbath, which is why he makes the rules. So other places in the scripture where Jesus, I love it, where Jesus will do something. He talks about like what goes into your mouth and what you're allowed, where, where evil comes from, comes from your insides. It doesn't come from, you know, you eating the wrong kinds of foods. And I love the gospel writer says, by saying this, Jesus made all foods clean. He is the one, because he is the Lord with the power of deciding, he can make the rules adjust. He can make them submit to his lordship because he is both Yahweh and he is Koreos, the Lord who has the power of deciding over us. Look on the screen with me. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. This is the story where the leper, the man has leprosy, comes up to Jesus it says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
That man, when he came to him ill, sick, not well, he came to him wanting a touch. He came to him and said, Kurius. He came to him and said, you have the power of ownership. You are the master. You are the one with the power of deciding. You can make me well if you're willing. And Jesus says, I am willing, be well. The leper rightly identifies Jesus as Lord. He is God. He is master. He is Yahweh. But he also recognizes and submits to him the one who has authority and ownership. Jesus is both God and the one with the power of deciding. You're probably going to hear me say the power of deciding about 500 times in the next two months. And I apologize up front for saying it over and over again, but it is the core issue. It's easy to say Jesus is Lord. It is much harder to say Jesus is Lord, and that means he has the power of deciding over every part of my life. Much different feel. And on that note, let me say this. One of the ways you can interpret the word Lord is the word master. Now, I don't know if that strikes you the same way as it strikes me, but when I hear someone say master and they're talking about them having a master, it just, it, it just there's something about the idea of having a master that kind of just rubs my fur the wrong way, even though I don't have fur. It just kind of makes me go, ugh. I, you know, Lord, okay, that sounds spiritual and churchy. I'm good with that. Master, mm. And I think it has to do with us being Americans, us being Western. I mean, we have an entire country built on people who said, you can't control us. I mean, that's the roots of this country, right? What are the roots of the United States? And I'm not saying I'm against the United States, fantastic, wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but the reality is, what did we say when we got started? You're not the boss of me, right? We said that to England. And so kind of bred into this culture is this, I don't need anybody else and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I will tell you, that is entirely counter to the way that the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is not built on nobody telling me what to do. The kingdom of God is built on me saying, Jesus, you're Lord of all. You have the power of deciding over every last part of my life. So that's why we are kingdom people before we are American people. And that's why you can go to any nation in the world and you'll find people that are all kneeling and saying, Jesus is Lord of all. And that's what links us, not our, our nationalities, not where we live. Does that make sense? Okay. Still wading in slowly, shallow into the pool. The lordship of Jesus is both expressed as a title and as a role. And we're going to spend most of our time in the weeks ahead looking at the New Testament, looking at him being uh, Lord who is Kurius. We're going to be spending our time looking at, at what that means for us individually. How is the lordship of Jesus expressed through my decisions, through my thinking, through my life? But it's also important to understand that the reason that Jesus was crucified wasn't because he did a lot of miracles, although he did many miracles. It wasn't because he did teaching that was sometimes not received well by the religious leaders, although he did that as well. The reason Jesus was crucified is because he dared to say that he was God. He dared to say that he was Yahweh. He dared to, 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 to not back down from this idea that he was equal with the Father, John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59 say this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you truth. He's speaking to the religious leaders. He says, I tell you truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The reason that they wanted to kill him is because he believed that he was the Lord of all. It's the very reason that God intended to put him to death for our benefit 
was because of the lordship of Jesus. It's the thing that got him in trouble, not really, but it's the thing that got, that got him um, on the wrong side of the religious leaders. They didn't have a problem with miracles. They didn't have a problem with teaching. What they had a problem with was one who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth saying that he was the great I am. Jesus called himself the son of God and he made himself equal to Yahweh. And in that, let me say this to you, next blank on your sheets. In a real sense, the lordship of Jesus is the hinge point on which all of eternity hinges. All of eternity turns for humanity. The lordship of Jesus is the place of decision for all people for all time. And if you're one of those really smart, with great memory people, you're probably thinking, you know what, I remember like 18 months ago, you were preaching about the gospel and you said the gospel is the thing that all of eternity hinges on. And if, you, if you're remembering that right now, I'm not even gonna begin to ask because I don't wanna be disappointed and have a depressed afternoon when nobody remembers that. But I did say that about 18 months ago. And the, and the reason that, you, that that would be accurate is that the, the, the gospel and the lordship of Jesus work hand in hand. We might be tempted to say, uh, it's the gospel, it's not, it's not the lordship of Jesus. It's whether you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. If you believe that he did that for your sins, then that's where eternity splits. But here's my problem. Here's what the whole issue is with lordship. In the Western church, that is the church in the United States and Canada and Western Europe, in the Western church, we have reduced salvation and coming to Christ to only the work of the cross, that's just that Jesus died for my sins, that Jesus came and he, he bore the punishment that should have been mine and that he was raised from the dead to prove that he had the authority to take away sin. And he is my savior and Lord. And no, he is my savior and that's good enough. And the reality is, is that you cannot separate the savior position of Jesus from the lordship position of Jesus. But in America, we do it all the time. I was recently listening to a sermon from a uh, very successful pastor in a church and he was leading people in a service as we do on occasion to accept Christ and he was saying, I want you to say if you want to accept Jesus this morning, if you want to be saved this morning, thank Jesus for, for being your savior and taking away all of your sins and people were praying that and they were saying it. He never once mentioned that now he's your Lord which means he has the power of deciding over your life and there is an entire group of people in the United States, I believe, and this is why we're doing this, that don't understand that to come to Jesus as Savior, by, by automatically you must embrace him as Lord. You cannot separate those two things. Which is why when you read the Bible and you, there's these wonderful, awesome places where you just get so encouraged, and then there's those other places where he says, hey, you wanna be my disciple? You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We don't like that part, but that's a lordship element of his ministry as opposed to him just being Savior. These two things cannot be separated. Let me say it this way. If a man or woman knows that Jesus is Lord of all and Lord of their lives and they are following Jesus, I have no doubt that they are saved. I have no doubt that he is also their savior. But on the other hand, if someone says, I love the idea that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and that he died on the cross and I'm free and clean, but I'm not so sure about him being Lord, if that's the case for that person, I have grave concerns about their relationship with the Lord because you can't have one without the other. He is savior and Lord. I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but this is kind of a heavy and serious series of messages. So I apologize. If you're feeling like, man, this is kind of overwhelming. It is. And it's not talked about enough. A Christianity without Jesus as Lord will not work. The people in our lives that we look at and we say, man, I want a vibrant walk with Christ like they have. 
I promise you, they live in the lordship of Jesus, the reality of that all the time. If you look at people and say, man, why can't they ever kind of figure out life in Jesus? It always comes back to lordship. It's not about salvation in terms of being forgiven. Lordship is a really big deal. And if you're here right now and you're thinking, man, I just, I feel conflicted. Like this guy's up there, little short man's up there talking and he's making me feel like, am I even saved? Let me just put you at ease for a second. Paul writes an amazing verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what he says. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you can say Jesus is Lord, even with the questions that may be swirling in your mind right at the moment, but you can say, no, I know Jesus is Lord. I want you to be encouraged. That, even that ability to speak those words comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. You are in a good place with God if you can say Jesus is Lord. But there is work to be worked out around his lordship. And we are in, as a church family, we are in for some soul searching. I believe that the Lord is going to really be challenging us. He's gonna be convicting us. I believe that he's gonna be correcting us. He's gonna be adjusting some of our theology. He's gonna be making us think freshly about this thing of lordship. And it, and it will definitely be a thing where we feel like we're being you know, disciplined by the Lord. But I, I wanna encourage you even in that. The, the Lord only corrects those that he loves. I, I get, I always am a little, like when someone says to me, man, I just feel like I keep, I feel like I'm doing good in Jesus. And next thing you know, I'm realizing I'm doing something wrong and I've gotta work on a new area. When people say that to me, they're usually like lamenting. And I'm usually like, good job, that's awesome. Because correction is proof of, of sonship. Correction is proof of his love. When people say things like, man, I'm doing great, no problems, nothing's going, you know, no, no challenges, I'm just, me and the Lord, walking along, never have any issues. I always think, really? Seriously? Because that's not the walk that I know. Now, he's gracious and loving towards us. He's very kind. But the reality is, he is often saying to us, hey, hey, work on this. And when we stop hearing it, that's the problem. So if you're feeling like, man, I never do anything right with Jesus, you are maturing like crazy. You are doing so good. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are doing so good if you're getting corrected. <laughs> Who are the unloving parents? The ones that don't correct their kids. Correction is an expression. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, symbol of love. He corrects those that he loves. He corrects us. If you're getting corrected, you're in a good place. Because of the seriousness of this, because of the, the, the desire that I have for us to really do, I would say it this way, to, to really do business with God, to let God work on us freshly, we're going to do our gatherings differently for the next couple of months. Uh, usually at the end of the service, uh, I usually am inviting you to pray with me or to respond in some way, and we pray together, and then I bless you, and then what usually happens is, uh, we say amen, there's a little pause, David gives a couple announcements, and then the whole room turns into a fellowship club, which is fantastic, I love it. Nothing, nothing better for me to look out and see everybody talking, having fun, kids running around, everybody, sorry parents, I just love all that, you know, that, that energy and everybody enjoying each other's company. For this series, I'm gonna ask you to do it differently. For this series, we're gonna pray together, I'm gonna bless you, and then I, there won't be any announcements at the end, and we're gonna, we're gonna invite people to come to the altar, Every single week, there will be an opportunity for you to just come and pray. And, and I want to say to you, though we are here to pray for you, when you come to the altar, you're not going to be surrounded by 12 people all pushing you down into the floor. We're not going to do that to you. 
You ever been there? Like, leave me alone for a second. I just want to be with Jesus. We're going to let you have that time, but we'll be there. You might feel a hand on your shoulder, someone praying with you. We'll certainly be available if you want to pray one-on-one. But, but we need time and space to deal with some of these things at the altar. And I, if you've been a Christian for less than 20 years, that may not be very familiar, but for a long time, that happened every service, right? You grew up, there was always an altar call. There was always people coming to the front. We're gonna kind of reinstitute that here at Grace just so that you can have space to come forward and pray. And when you come forward, my encouragement to you is this, that when you approach the altar that you, that you kneel down. Because one of the expressions of the Lordship of Jesus is surrender. And one of the ways of demonstrating surrender to him is to kneel before him. So when you come to pray, I'm gonna invite you to come and kneel down before the Lord and let him minister to you, deal with whatever it is that's on your heart that you've been churned up during the service or God's been doing something. Come to this place and kneel down. We'll be praying for you and we'll be available to support you if you wanna pray one-on-one as well. But this is gonna be a different way that we close our services. And because of that, when I bless you and we end our service for the next couple of months, I would love for the rest of you, if you're not responding, which is completely fine, if, you're, if you are gonna go ahead and head out, I would ask you to go ahead and leave this room just for the next couple months, not forever, but do all that talking and enjoying each other and hanging out and chatting in the hallway and in the foyer so that this space, at least for 10, 15 minutes after our service, can be a space where people are doing business with God. Can we do that? Can we give space and honor to that, what God, the Lord's doing? Again, it's, this isn't a new norm, but it's gonna be a norm for a little while. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? And Sarah, would you come? Don't pull back. Press in. Don't be, don't be concerned about... Um, Uh, not feeling 100% like you understand everything that there is to understand about lordship and and therefore I'm just gonna pull back and not engage at all. I encourage you to press in. Allow the Holy Spirit, allow the word of God, allow this season in your life and in our life as a church to be one where you is discovering things, you're growing, you're learning new things, you're being challenged, you're being corrected, you're experiencing um, the Lord coming alongside of you, bringing conviction, but through this, you're gonna grow. We're gonna grow as a church family and I believe God's gonna add to our number because we are going to be closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. Trust, don't pull back, press in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the the prompting of your Holy Spirit that it gives us the opportunity to turn anew to you and to learn. Lord, we wanna be like little children who are ever coming to you and listening to your voice and being uh, receivers of new information, receivers of, of new insights. Lord, forgive us for acting and thinking like we know it all. Lord, forgive us, even especially those of us that have been serving you for a long time. Lord, we can just kind of think that we understand everything and we're doing it right. Lord, pardon us. Give us the hearts of children. Give us the minds and the faith of children to come to you and say, Daddy, God, Abba, Father, teach us freshly. And in particular, Lord, we're praying in this season right now, teach us what it means for Jesus to be Lord of all. 
Lord, of every part of our lives. No corner that he doesn't go into. No closet that he's not welcome in. No practice or, or thought process or relationship that he does not reign supreme in. Lord, we want Jesus to be Lord of everything. We invite you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us and help us. And Lord, we, we come and we know that we don't know everything. And so we're excited about what you're going to do. Cause faith to rise up in us. Cause excitement and anticipation to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands in front of you? I'm gonna speak this blessing over you when I'm finished. If you'd like to come forward and pray at the altars, there'll be folks here to pray with you, pray over you. Um, if not, would you just quietly head to the foyer? Grace Church family, Grace Church friends, those watching online, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Amen. We trust that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, be sure to connect with us by visiting grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.